Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Kayla Mason, and we have a great episode for you today on the Learner's Corner Podcast. Today, we are talking with Jeff Henderson, and Jeff has been a guest on the show before, but today his book release is called Know What You're For, a growth strategy for work and even better strategy for life. And if you're not familiar with Jeff, Jeff is an entrepreneur, speaker, pastor, and business leader. Uh, he's led at North Point Ministries uh, at multiple of their locations uh, in kind of the Atlanta, Georgia area. And also, he's also the founder of several organizations, including Champion Tribes, Preaching Rocket, Launch University, and the Four Company as well. And this is also really cool. Recently, he's been named by Forbes magazine as one of 20 speakers that you shouldn't miss. And so we're really excited to talk with him today. And if you've been here before, you know you've heard us talk about this idea of Four and Gwinnett Church, and Jeff really helped launch and get that, got that idea started. And so we're really excited to talk with him about that today. And so here is my conversation with Jeff Henderson. Well, Jeff, welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. We're excited to have you back on today. Caleb, thanks for having me back on, man. Always great to see you. Yeah. And now you've come out with a book called Know What You're For. And we're really excited to talk with you about that. And, you know, you've been, you know, kind of leading the charge whenever it comes to leading this for initiative and helping communities and churches and businesses, you know, help before their congregations and their people and all of that. And so I just wanted to see if you could just take us back to whenever this idea of, you know, you realizing that, hey, it's more important to be for people, right? How was that birthed like in you? Mm -hmm. Great question. And, and I can take you back to the early days of Gwinnett Church, but I think this applies to wh wherever your listeners may be, whether it's business, nonprofit, church, really even f personal life. But it comes down to two questions. And the subtitle of the book is, this is a growth strategy for work, but an even better strategy for life. So this isn't just about organizations. It's really about our personal growth. But when we decided to launch this church, we asked the two questions I ask any organization to ask, especially in the startup days. And that is, number one, what do you want to be known for? I mean, that's your unique niche. That's what you're bringing to the marketplace that might be different, hopefully is different. You're adding value. You're solving a problem. You're, you're doing something that's adding value to the lives of people. That's your vision. And then the second question is, what are you known for? That's the customers or the participants or the attenders or the members experience on whether or not we are delivering on our answer to question number one. But here's the power of those two questions, Caleb. When what you want to be known for is what you're known for, you create vision carriers. And vision carriers become vision casters because they tell their friends about your organization, your company, and your business. And so when we started going at church, that's where we started. And this was back in 2011. These are questions that I'd wrestled with before, but really they just kind of crystallized in, in starting this. And so when we asked these two questions, obviously we weren't known for anything because we weren't even a, in, in existence yet. So we asked it from the big C church, like what is the church known for? And then someone said, well, you know, many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than the, what the church is for. We should be known for what we're for. And then I said, well, what are we for? And they said, well, that's when it all started. We're for Gwinnett kids. We're for Gwinnett businesses. We're for Gwinnett Gwinnett is a county in metro Atlanta, and that's when Fort Gwinnett 
was 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 born and we've just tried to stay on that message ever since because to your question about what resonates with this and why this message versus an against message great question it really is um, I think the four initiative builds common ground with people and when you build common ground and you connect with people and you're really authentically for them they in turn return the favor and that's what grows organizations churches and businesses mm-hmm. so why why did you decide because some some leaders might be thinking okay it sounds like you got a lot of people involved in the early grounds of having these types of conversations of hey figuring out what we're for someone might be listening going but i'm the point leader like i'm the person in charge like what what did you find the benefit of being of not just keeping these types of conversations to yourself but actually including other people you know on staff at Gwinnett and so on and so forth right if the vision is totally dependent on me then i've put a lid on the vision in our organization and i needed to get buy in and it was admittedly easier in early days cuz there's only 3 of us 3 or 4 of us so if you fast forward to today you know 8 years later it it's harder but that's why one of the one of the principles we I talk about in the book is leaders are repeaters. You have to say it over and over and over again. And if I'm not around, I want this vision to still be um, within the fabric of our organization. That's why if you walk around our church, you'll see vision dripping from the building everywhere you go. It's just vision, vision, vision because vision rarely repeated is quickly forgotten. And I've just seen leaders throughout my life, and I can give you some examples who just stayed on message and stayed on message and stayed on message. And particularly as it relates to the church, with all due respect to businesses, and I have huge respect for businesses, the church has the greatest message the world has ever heard, for God so loved the world. That's our message. Our challenge as church leaders is just to stay on message and to let them know what God is for and who God is for. And so for me, I just wanted to make sure that this was a message that could resonate whether I'm in the office or not, and that they own it. But that requires the fact that the team collaboratively helped build this message and and can take it forward and believe in it as well. And if they don't believe in it, it's going to stop there. So you give a lot of examples in the book of people being hesitant to the idea of being for and just kind of questioning a little bit, well, does this really work? Why, why do you find that most people are hesitant whenever it comes to this idea of, you know, being, being for people and especially like being for the customer instead of like for profit or anything like that? I've really found it a little bit more hesitant or resistant in the business world because they're asking, What's the ROI on this? What's the, what's the, is this, I mean, you know, doing good, is that good for business? And in today's world, that's where the game is going. And I really believe where the game is right now is it's no longer about being the best company in the world. It's about being the best company for the world. And we have hard data that proves that. I I point that out in the book. There's a group called the Havas Group, and they talk about the value on ROI for for brands that they call are meaningful brands meaning that customers feel like that they actually gen, the companies actually genuinely care about them and care about the world and care about doing good and the younger you go the more that increases and this is only going to get in my perspective it's only going to get better because the younger you go in terms of consumers the more they're saying why should i do business with you why should i 
participate with you if I don't believe in what you're doing. And if I think you're just for you and not for a greater good, I don't think I'm going to participate with you. So for, for me, I think we're only beginning to see the full impact on this from an ROI standpoint. But the other thing I've said is, I just want to work for a company like this. Even if this weren't even true, even if there was no ROI and there needs to be ROI, there has to be. But even if there weren't, I just would rather work for a company that wants to, to live in purpose. And so what the premise of the book is, is that the more purpose you have as an organization, the more profit you will have. Because purpose fuels profit and profit fuels purpose. This isn't an altruistic message that says, hey, as a business, you shouldn't make money. This isn't any of that. I think the more money a company that's doing good can make, the better we all are. So I really think profit and purpose don't have to be opposed to one another. I think in today's world, they go together. And we're beginning to see that all over the place. In companies uh, like Chewy.com that provides flowers for people that, whose pets have passed away. I mean, this is a company that's doing extraordinary good, but they don't spend any money on advertising. It's all word of mouth. And that's what this really is about, Caleb. It's about how do you harness and leverage the most powerful form of advertising there is when other people talk about you versus you talking about you. And that's where this is going. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of the person who's listening right there, right now, and they're going, okay, you know, my church or my business or my organization or whatever I'm a part of does not have a good reputation right now. Like what we want to be known for and what people say that we're known for, they're misaligned. What advice would you give to them to just get started? I would say, first of all, you need to do a vision inventory. And we actually have a, a research document that you can pull for free in the book. But you can also just walk around and ask this question and take notes. This won't be as scientific, obviously. It'll be a little word of mouth, but I think it will give you a, a, an intuition, if you will, of what you're known for and just going around and, and actually going around to the staff and the team and the key volunteers and saying, Hey, when you think about our church, what do you think we're known for? And don't push back. Don't go, well, yeah, just take notes and just write these things down and do a vision inventory and go, what, what, what do you think we are known for? And then ask the question, um, what do we want to be known for? And, and are what we're known for and is what we're known for, is it congruent with what we want to be known for? And this takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of honesty and authenticity because here's the, here's the thing. Those two questions, Caleb, what do you want to be known for? And what are you known for? There's not an organization on the planet where the answers to those questions are perfectly aligned. There's a gap because there is no such thing as a perfect organization. But when the answers to those questions can consistently match, and what you do, as I said earlier, is you create a, a, a sales force for free. You create vision carriers that, that, that tell others about you. So this is going to require a, a lot of hard work, and it's going to require some honesty. And you go, what, what do you think we're known for? And in church world, I know what we want to be known for. We want to be known. We, Jesus is the answer. Got it. Totally got it. I actually think, though, when we talk about our community, I love Jesus. I work for Jesus, by the way. I follow Jesus since I was a little kid. So this isn't anything criticism of Jesus. I love Jesus. I think the answer needs to be a little bit more broader early on for the entire community if you want to grow. This is why when we bought the property at Gwinnett Church, and you've heard this story before, we didn't put a sign up that said Gwinnett Church. That was not our first impression. 
Because when people saw the construction going on and they saw the word church, their first thought would be, I'm not a church person. I'm never going to go there. So what we instead wanted to just say is we just put a sign out there that said hashtag for Gwinnett. That was it. There was no website. There was nothing. And then we just gave everybody T-shirts and said we, that said for Gwinnett. And we said, when people ask you, because this is a well-traveled road, when people ask you about that sign, we want you to tell them what we want you to tell them, which was, you know, really our vision statement of many people are more familiar with what the church is against. We want to be known for what we're for. And that really grew, grew our, our, our church. So if you were to start all over and pretend like you could start all over, I would, Caleb, I would start with those two questions and then go on a journey of what you want to, what you want to do and what you want to be known for. And that's the exciting thing for us is we've seen other churches do this. I think this has allowed them to go further and faster by getting some messaging that they can get their whole church around. Mm -hmm. So for the person who's listening and they're not the point leader, you know, maybe they're a few levels down into the organization and they're listening to this or they've heard this message of wanting to be for people, um, but either their leadership is underestimating it or they're not exposed to it. Like, would you give the same advice as what we were talking about earlier or different advice or what would that, what would that look like? Great question. These two questions, what do you want to be known for and what are you known for? They're, they're actually good questions for you to ask in your own career. So what do you want to be known for when you're bringing a problem or an opportunity? You want to bring it from a standpoint of I've got some value. I've got opportunities for us. You want to come as a, as a learner versus going, you know, this whole thing's falling apart, but I've found the answer. Let me tell you what it is. And I think that's the exciting thing I'm, I'm excited about the book is I think team discussions around this because I've crafted team discussions. I've tried to think of the person that is the entrepreneur of the church, meaning that they, are, they have an entrepreneurial bent, but they're in it within an organization, which I think is often not talked about enough. When we think of entrepreneurs, we think of people that launch businesses on their own, which is great. But there are people with in, uh, that have entrepreneurial skills, but they're just within the organization. That's somebody like you, honestly. And I think approaching this as a learner and as a student and going, hey, I found this resource. Let's go through these exercises together and let's craft the messaging. Um, that's where I would start. And how you lead up is really important. In fact, Clay Scroggins wrote a book on that, it's a great book on that. So the more that you can learn how to do this, the better. And I would just approach it from a leadership standpoint. But the good news is, is that you've got other organizations and other churches that are doing this and they're leaning into this, this message of four. And I, I think it's really, really important. And, you know, uh, 2020, and we're recording this in 2019, 2020 is an election year in America. It's going to be a crazy, volatile year. So I think this four message is even more important now than ever, especially as we head toward that. Mm -hmm. So the book is kind of breaking, broken down into four different sections, being for the customer, for the team, for the community, for yourself. Which is the one that you find that most people have the most difficult time embracing? It's the last one, and I should have put it first, Caleb. It's for you, you know, because, again, that, there's an example of it. Like, of these four, uh, the, the one about me is the least, you know. But here's why being for you is important, because the best gift that you can give your organization and your customer or your team or the larger community is an inspired, healthy, fired-up you. And if you aren't remaining inspired, then everyone suffers among the other three. 
And so I, what, what I've tried to do in the book, and I should have, I should have, and this is my first book. So I'm like, oh no, I made a mistake. This is probably the biggest mistake in the book is, is putting for you last because it really, ironically, it's not about you, but if you're not healthy, then the other three will suffer. And, and we've seen this in church world, obviously. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to see some of the things that we've seen. And it's because folks just aren't healthy. And so you've got to fight for that. And especially in church world, I tell our staff, Caleb, we're pushing against darkness. So we not, should not be surprised when darkness pushes back. So it's a fight for your emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical health. And so that's, I think that fourth one about you and me and us as individuals, that's the one that can go, uh, I, I, I can cancel that one. Because typically if you set an appointment with yourself that you're going to, you know, this afternoon I'm going to have some recreation or I'm going to have uh, some think time and then there's something comes up, it's easy to cancel an appointment with yourself versus canceling an appointment with somebody else. So I think it's that fourth one that's the hardest one. Mm-hmm. So how do you personally lead in a way that helps encourage other people to be for themselves? For me, I've answered the questions for myself personally. There's a couple of ways I can, there, there's several ways I answer these questions, but let me give you a couple. Mm-hmm. The first one is what do I want, what do I want to be known for? The, the, one of the things I want to be known for in this moment, Caleb, is I want to be, I want to be for the person who's in front of me at this moment, whoever that may be. Right now, that's you and your listeners. So I want to do my very best to be for you. Then when we're done here, I'm uh, heading on a trip that I was telling you about. When I get to that trip, I'm going to be for this, this group of people. So whoever is in front of me, from the barista to uh, a famous podcaster like yourself, to whoever, my kids, my wife, Whoever is in front of me, I want them to have my full and focused attention. And it's really hard to do that in cell phone, smartphone world, right? So that's one of the things I want to be known for. When I walk away from people, I want them to think, wow, that guy is for me. Another way I answer this question is from a a scriptural standpoint. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? So one of the things I kind of, one of my mission statements is I want to be found faithful in all the areas of my life. So if Jesus were to come back today, walk up to me and go, Hey, Jeff, have I found faith in you today as a husband, as a father, as a financial steward, as a leader, as a servant, um, steward of your physical gifts and your health and being a, a son and a, and a son-in-law, are you faithful in those areas? That's what I want to be known for. I want all... I would want Jesus to go ask my wife, my kids, and the people in my life, is Jeff being faithful in these areas? So for me, having those as two of the many linchpins of these questions, that's why I think this is a great strategy for your personal life to know that, hey, I want to be for the person in front of me, and I want to be known for being found faithful in the areas of my life. And so for me, that helps drive me, make, make sure that I am being as healthy as I possibly can be, making sure I have people speaking into my life, having guardrails in my life to make sure that I can be consistent with those two responses to those two questions. Mm-hmm. So one of, one of the passages in the book that I've been like rereading, rereading to people all the time is, uh, is this, is that there are gaps we don't often see because it's hidden within the confines of our own knowledge and experience. You say you call it insideritis and that it's a malady 
afflicting the vision of organizations on insider issues over outsider issues, and that this is how we've always done it becomes the mantra over what are we learning from our customers in order to better serve them. How do you fight against that mentality of, well, this is just how we've always done it, or this is you know, our organization's way of doing things? How do you fight against that? That's a great question. You really have to take the mindset of a learner and to focus on what is our potential versus look at our success. When, you, when we say look at how successful we are, we're, we're looking at the highlight reel and we should celebrate the highlight reel. But when we look at our potential, we see how much further we have to go. I'm actually recording this at Buckhead Church in, in the building that we helped build many years ago. And when we started out, we went from like 100 people to 4,000 people overnight and everybody thought we were a success. And somebody asked me a question one time in a staff meeting, you know, how are we dealing with this success? And I, I paused there and everything and I said, hey, we're not a success. God's not blessed us with success. What God has blessed us with is potential because within a 10 mile radius of here, there are 280,000 unchurched people just within a 10 mile radius of here. That's our potential. And so knowing that, what do we need to do to shrink the gap between where we are to reaching our full potential. And that takes a learner's mindset. And so one of the things we do at Gwinnett Church, every other week, I bring someone from the outside in just to teach us something about what they're doing. Typically, it's a business person, only because we're, we don't really run in those circles too much in church world. Yesterday, a friend of mine who's a, a, an expert on uh, Google searches and how Google can be a great way to reach people for the church came in. And just within the span of 24 hours to see those how that staff meeting yesterday has bubbled up ideas just within the last 24 hours is really, really important. And the other thing we have to do is to see the business or the church from the eyes and perspective of the attenders. I, I give the example in the book that when I get to Gwinnett Church, there's no parking problems. It's very quiet. Uh, everything's wonderful uh, because nobody's there. And then, in a, you know, in a couple of hours, people are going to show up. There's going to be parking, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so what I've got to do is to make sure that there are Sundays when I just plop in the middle of all that and experience what our guest services teams are experiencing. And first of all, just encourage them, but to tell them, hey, do you have some ideas about how we could continue to get better? Because we haven't arrived. And an example from the chicken world, the Chick-fil-A, is when I would consult with restaurant operators, I would ask them to go out during, during lunch, the busiest time of the day, and not stand behind the counter, but stand in front of it to see what the customer is seeing. Because if you're never standing in front of the counter, seeing it from the customer's perspective, you're not going to get the full perspective on the business. And when you don't get the full perspective on the business and the organization, it sounds like, but that's not how we do it. And that's insider-itis, to, to your point. That's, that's, that's what's afflicting a lot of organizations, because we just can't see it from the customer or attendee's perspective. Mm -hmm. So, again, if someone, like, I'm just, because I'm, kind of filtering this through myself as well is thinking through so you know i'm not necessarily the top person in my uh in the organization in the church that i work in so what would be the best way to approach someone where they just give you the answer hey this is this is how we do it here mm -hmm. well the first question i would ask is how's it working are we getting the results we want <laughs> and if we're not getting the results i mean if we're if it's 
if it's crushing and the results are, you know, unbelievable year over year, then, hey, this is working. How can we tweak it to get it better? That's always a great question. If we're not getting the results we're wanting and we're defending it, that's not a good trajectory. And I understand that because what we do is we're bumping up against our own, our own natural insecurities, which I have and you have and we all have. But if what we're doing isn't working and we defend it, then we are defending our own demise. And we, we, we can't go there. So we, ha we, we can't be scared of results and we can't be scared of data. Um, but I will say this, data doesn't need to lead us. Data needs to inform us. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes I see a lot of businesses and I've, I'm seeing churches get involved in this as well. It seems like the data is casting the vision of what they should do. And that's dangerous. The data should be informing us of what's working, but we should remain true to the vision that, that the organization had or that God gave the church. And so for me, I would say, how are the results? Are we excited about the results we're seeing? If not, then let's be honest about what's, what's happening here. I, I read a book uh, about the Ford Motor Company turnaround, and uh, it's called American Icon. And, and the Alan Mulally came in, Caleb, to try to turn Ford around. And he had a red, yellow, or green light in terms of, um, you know, how, how are things going? So he got into his leadership team, and they were losing, you know, millions of dollars. And he went around and said, red, yellow, or green, how are things going in your area? And everybody said, green, 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 green. And he gets to Alan Mulally, and he goes, wow, that's amazing. You would never know with all of these green lights that we probably will lose a billion dollars by the end of the year. <laughs> and so the next meeting, everybody got around. And then one guy said he, he had red. And Alan goes, wow, what's going on? And he tells the story. And then in the book, it's so well written, Caleb, because all the other executives are going, oh, I wonder who's going to get this guy's job because he's about to get fired, you know, and all of that. And, and Alan Mulally stands up, gives this guy a standing ovation and says, now because somebody's being honest with the data, we can actually do something here. And then the next meeting, everybody came back with red, yellow, red, yellow, red, and yellow. Because here's the results that we're getting. They're not very good. And let's do something about it. So I would start there, Caleb. If, if, if somebody's wanting to be an, an entrepreneur and create change, the question we got to ask is, are we getting the results that we want to? And if not, let's do something about it. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you about another thing that you write in the book. You have this statement that how the team is treated is eventually how the customer is treated. And what I, what I see sometimes, and I want to get your opinion on it and ask you about it as well, is that I think sometimes the point leader or the CEO can maybe become so focused on you know, reaching the customer that sometimes they almost overlook being for the team. Right. Do, do you see that at all? And, why, and if so, why do you think that is? Absolutely. I think the reason is because the customers pay the bills, you know, and we got to treat the customers and, and treat them really, really well. But, and I understand that, but there's a fundamental principle about this, Caleb, that is unquestioned. And it's this the customer is eventually treated like the team is treated, period, end of story. The customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. So you can't have a healthy customer service culture with an unhealthy team culture. It's impossible. You can fake it for a while. 
you can try it for a while, but eventually the culture erodes and implodes in and of itself. And here's what's so heartbreaking for me. I've been a preacher's kid, been in church all my life. When it comes to the church, and this is a general statement, all right? This isn't a specific statement. This is just generally speaking. The church is known to not be a great place to work. And that's heartbreaking. That the culture of a lot of church staffs are not a great place to work. And eventually that begins to flow right to Sunday morning. And that's why a lot of churches are in trouble. So for leaders, I think you've got, when I, I, I said this when I was at Buckhead and I say it at Gwinnett, my customer as the point leader is not the people who attend the church. They're a secondary customer. My first customer is the team because I'm betting on them. And I'm betting that if I treat them with honor, respect, honesty, and dignity, and try to help them get as best as they can be, and to try to fund them and raise money for their ministries, then all of that will flow to the church and they'll take care of the church. But if we try to skip that, it's, and Peter Drucker said this, this is anything new to me. He said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You can have the best strategy in the world, but eventually your culture will either undermine it or fuel it. And that's why I think you have to design a for the team culture because your culture is determined by default or by design. There's no, there's no status quo. It's either moving forward or moving backward. It's either by design or by default. And what I've discovered and what I put in the book are just lessons I've learned from other leaders and things I've experienced about how they were for me that I thought, oh, that's why they're so successful. That's why this organization is thriving. It's, it's because they have such a great team culture. And we, it's just unquestioned. It, it, it's a principle that you can either argue against or wreck against or leverage. But the customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. No question about it. Mm-hmm. So what, what might be one way that someone can get started of showing that they're for their team? A great example in the book is what I give from Cheryl Botchelder. With, uh, Cheryl is the former CEO of Popeye's Chicken. They were in total disarray. I actually, Caleb, I actually think this is one of the best turnaround stories in business in the last 10 to 15 years. And it, the culture between the corporate office and the franchisees was a total mess. So the first thing she did, and it's the first thing that you need to do in a for the team culture is she did what I call listen actively, listen actively. She wanted a listening tour and she would ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. And then she would follow these questions with, with these three words, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. One of my favorite examples I put in the book is she was with a franchisee and she asked them, hey, when do we do our best work? And he said, oh, that's easy. When you don't come with a PowerPoint presentation. And she goes, okay, tell me more. And he said, well, when you come with a PowerPoint presentation, it just just feels like we're here just to approve what you've already decided. And she said, well, tell me more. And he said, well, if you just came with a flip chart and two markers and we figure this out together, there would be greater buy-in. And I think we, that's when we would do our best work. And she said, that's when, it, that's when it occurred to me. That's what I'm going to start doing from now on. And what happened in that moment is the relationship between the corporate office and the franchisees got a little bit closer. And when there was trust that was built, it fueled the chicken sales. And they sold a whole lot of chicken. When, when Cheryl was there. But what she was doing is that she was listening and then not just listening, I say listen actively. She activated what she listened. It wasn't just listening and then go, okay, I've listened to y'all, now I'm gonna do my own thing. 
And it wasn't that she would take out all of their ideas, but she took enough of their ideas and implemented them to go, wow, they actually do believe and trust in me. And then instead of becoming opposite forces, they actually got on the same team and the sales just took off. So I, I love that as a, as a way, one of the ways that you're for the team is to listen, 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 because as leaders, we're tempted. We, we're, you know, we're the ones that have the microphone. We're the ones up front. We have the tendency to think we got to talk too much. I think one of the best things that leaders can do, stop talking so much and start listening. And then those three words, tell me more. Oh my goodness. What it does is it shows humility on your part and value. And it allows you, I think, the opportunity to surface some really great ideas that are already there. Mm -hmm. So you, you write about the importance of also remaining inspired. And so what do you do to remain inspired and even to remain encouraged? A couple of ideas. I try to ask big. I try to ask people big things. And for example, my daughter graduated from high school a couple of years ago. We were all big Pixar movie fans. She wanted to go out to California for her little graduation you know, celebration trip. And so as a family, and so I just wrote Pixar a letter and said, could we come tour your offices? You know, it's like, you know, I didn't really know anybody out there hardly. So it's like putting a, a, a letter in a bottle and just throwing it in the ocean. And I had met Ed Catmull, the president of Pixar once two years ago, but he'd never, he'd never remember who I was. So, but I just wrote him a letter and said, could we do this? My family's a big, big fan. And, uh, and then, you know, about three months later, I got a call saying, yeah, we'd love to. And it was such a great memory. I mean, I'm touring Pixar and I'm thinking, and my daughter says, dad, this is so cool. And Caleb, I'm thinking, I'm so glad I, I asked big. Mm -hmm. And so for me, asking big is, hey, what, if, what happens if they actually say yes? I mean, that's so for me to, to approach life to go, you know what? You'll never know unless you ask. And I mean, I've asked, you know, I asked Warren Buffett to come speak to the Buckhead church staff when I was here. And I actually got a letter back from Warren Buffett because I read his biography and I wrote him a letter and said, hey, I know you're the richest man in the world. I'm not going to ask you for any money. I just want our team to learn from you. And I get a letter back from Warren Buffett and it said, dear Jeff, no, but I have a letter from the richest man in the world, at least at that time. And so asking big allow, stretches my thinking to go, there, there should be nothing that you shouldn't ask. Ask for the stars. In fact, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. The other thing I try to do, and we talked about this earlier, is a sustainable pace. I believe um, your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. And trying to fight for that and trying to fight for healthy exercise rhythms, rest rhythms, um, that's really, really important. And it goes back to the for you mindset that I've got to remain healthy. So I really do believe in a sustainable pace. Now, there are seasons where a sustainable pace, I'm about to go into one with the book launch. This is going to be kind of a crazy season. So knowing that I've got to pace myself now, go through the book launch and then pace myself after that to make sure that, that I'm not depleting myself and that, that that's going to impact the other relationships and roles I have in my life. So ask big and this whole sustainable pace thing, those are two ideas that allow me to remain inspired because I think, I think rest and sleep cannot be overestimated in its value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of the research is showing, is showing that now too about rest and sleep. Yeah. And if not, your body will shut you down. I mean, for me, uh, if I just, if I consistently do this, my, I start getting a sore throat and I start getting sick. 
and I, I just can't go there. I know better than that. Now there are seasons and, and all that, and, and I've launched several things. And so you have the launch phase. I totally understand all of that. But we're talking about over the long haul, a sustainable pace really, really is important. Mm-hmm. So you have the book coming out, but also at the beginning of this year, Gwinnett Church opened up a second location at the beginning of 2019. And so what, what have you learned about yourself or about leading just through the whole process of opening up a, a second location that you're leading? Speaking of sustainable pace, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been great. Uh, you know, one of the great things about opening up a second location is if you were to say, you know, we're not going to launch this ministry over here, then that's a good question to go, then why did we launch it over here? And could we do, I really do believe less is more. So we're, what we're trying to do over at the, at the new site is let's try to do less so that we can actually do more. And so that's some, some learnings. I'm actually lead pastor over both right now, which, you know, is not necessarily, I mean, it's, just, it's sustainable for me. I don't think it's sustainable for the church. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we're trying to do in this first year is kind of push this church out in the water and see if it can uh, sustain itself financially. And so be minimal staff and, uh, you know, minimal ministry but effective ministry and effective staff. And can we do that? And the cool thing with all the four language is that we're, it's just 15 minutes from our current locations, current location. It's within Gwinnett County. So all the four Gwinnett stuff just goes right there. And for many people in that community, they've never heard of four Gwinnett before. So it's, it's, it's brand new for them. And I think the other thing that we've learned is that family ministry continues to be the sticky part of church right now. And that, what I mean by that is in terms of, you know, in church world right now, it's people are attending less frequently. Your, 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 your overall size of influence is probably bigger, but in terms of frequent Sunday attendance, that is, that is more spotty with the exception of family ministry. When you have a great family ministry, the kids wake up on Saturday wanting to go to church and they don't realize it's not Saturday, it's Sunday. And so family ministry and trying to create great family ministry programming, we knew that going in, but it's even a greater, it's been greater, greater reinforced even more so. And um, the other thing is just the value of multi-site. Multi-site, if you do it right, works. If not, you just spread your dysfunction all over the community. So you have to be careful with that. And I, I wouldn't say multi-site is for everyone because it provides complications. This is the first grandchild of North Point Ministries, if you will. So we're trying to figure out how all that works and all that. And uh, I think we're on our, our third org chart for Gwinnett Church Hamilton Mill, knowing that because we, again, the minimal staffing, many people have two jobs in both locations. So now we're trying to get a little bit more focused. Um, so, so far it's been going great, especially from, an attendance and financial standpoint. Mm-hmm. So before I let you go, well, I have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And the first one is what's one habit that you've started doing recently. That's helping you a lot. This is the Caleb lightning round. Is that right? <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that this is, I, I've done this before, but I would say I've done, I'm doing a better job at this. This is going to sound really weird. I actually write out what I'm going to eat the day before. And it reduces my temptation because I just follow the plan versus going into the day going, huh, what I didn't, what am I going to eat today for lunch? 
pizza, but I already have a plan. And so again, that allows me to go into the day. and It just helps me from a nutrition standpoint. And what you're going to discover when you get to be an old man like me, Caleb, is what you eat the day before actually influences how you feel the next day. And so that's one of the reasons I do that. It just helps me perform better. So I've been just doing that right before I go to bed. I, I just kind of write out my little food journal. And then I grade myself on how I did uh, the day before. And again, I just feel like nutrition and all that really plays in. And I'm not some nutrition, uh, you know, I'm not gluten-free or any of that, but which is awesome. But just uh, pre-planning my meals just by writing it down just helps me become more disciplined. Mm -hmm. What are, what's one of the best books or podcasts or any type of resource that you've gone through recently? I, other than yours, I really enjoy the, how I built this podcast. Uh -huh. It's uh, it's about a, a podcast that people just tell their story and it's really the birth of an idea, the death of an idea, the resurrection of the idea and the ascension of the idea. It's just so fascinating to me how most of these stories just follow that process. And the reason that's encouraging to me and it should be encouraging to you and others is that if you've ever had the birth of an idea, You've had the death of the idea, or at least an obstacle. And we, can, we have a tendency to conclude that that's the conclusion. That's not the conclusion. That's just chapter two. You got two more chapters if, you, if this is a good idea. Sometimes ideas aren't good, but you, they morph. And so I really love the How I Built This podcast because it, it lets you into the real story of what on the outside just seems like they decided to launch Jenny's ice cream and they had no issues and it's been amazing. And then you understand that her first business closed. Oh, wow. You're, you're like a normal pe person like me. So I really enjoy that podcast. Mm -hmm. Who are some of your favorite people to learn from right now? I really, I really love learning from Sid Mashburn, Sid and Ann Mashburn. So Sid Mashburn owns a clothing store, a clothing brand. He's got several locations around the country. He opened up in 2008. So it's a terrible time to open up a fashion brand. And I love the way that Sid treats his team. I feature Sid in the book. And I love the way that he's thinking outside the box. They go on these trunk shows in different cities. I think they're in Birmingham today. And they'll do a considerable amount of business, but they don't actually have a store in Birmingham. They just load up a truck and go. I love that. And that's one of the reasons I got the, the, the business breakfast idea to promote the book is I thought, oh, Sid's doing that. I should do something like that. Just kind of take the book on the road. And I love, I love what they're doing. And I, I mentioned Jenny's ice cream. Uh, speaking of asking big, I've asked Jenny Brittenbauer, who's the founder of Jenny's ice cream on several occasions to come speak to our staff. I've, I've not, I've not gotten a yes yet. So I'm hoping she's listening to this. I put the request in the book, by the way, and I just love what Jenny's is doing. And, um, you know, it may seem incongruent when I was talking about eating nutrition well, and then one of my favorite people I'm learning from is an ice cream company, but um, I love Jenny's and what they stand for. They just won an award about being a company that's for the world. And I thought, now that's interesting. That's pretty cool. And so that's what Jenny, and she wrote a cool Instagram, Caleb, about it and said, this is when I started Jenny's, I wanted to be more than ice cream. I wanted us to have a positive influence. And when we, when we began, we talked about ROI, that's where this thing is going. And the companies that understand that are gonna be further ahead than those that don't. Mm -hmm. And finally, what are you learning right now? 
first of all, these are some really long answers to your <laughs> lightning round questions. That's okay. So, uh, I apologize for that. I am learning a ton about the publishing industry, the book industry, uh, Amazon, how all this works. And I'm not quite sure I understand any of it, but it's been great and I love it. And I've been fascinated by it, but it's a whole new world. I've, 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 I've never done this before. And what I've, what I, I've also discovered that, you know, people, you hear this thing that people don't read anymore. I've discovered that's not true. And uh, I've discovered now how they, how they read, they may be audible or whatever, Kindle or whatever, but it, that may be different. But I, books are still a really big deal. And so I'm just learning a lot, but I'm learning that, that people want to have a personal interaction um, with you. And so that's one of the reasons I'm going on the, on the two words, just to have some personal conversations with people. And, and the great thing about that is I'm going to learn so much. I think Gwinnett Church is going to get better because of this tour I'm going to go on because I'm going to meet some amazing people. I'm going to hear some ideas and I'm going to take these back with me. Well, Jeff, I know that people are going to want to pick up the book, Know What You're For, A Growth Strategy for Work and an Even Better Strategy for Life. Where's the best place for them to go to do that and to continue to follow you as well? Yeah, they can go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, or they can go to jeffhenderson.com and they can just get the book there. And, and then I actually, Caleb, I put my cell phone in the back of the book, uh, stole that idea from Bob Goff. And so I would love for people to read the book and text me and tell me what they learned or a question or uh, invite me to come speak. I mean, I've, I've already gotten some really cool, uh, the advanced reader copies went out and I, I got a really cool uh, text from uh, Pat, uh, Pat Williams, who's the general manager of the Orlando Magic. And I thought, I've always wanted to get drafted by the NBA. This is my moment. But uh, Pat just read the, read the book. He was very kind. So, but yeah, I would get the book at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, or jeffhenderson.com. Read it. I think it's a pretty short read. And then text me and let me know what you, what you liked. You can even text me what you didn't like. <laughs> and then um, just let's just go on this journey together. Because the overarching principle, and I'll close with this, Caleb, is I think this is going to be true, really important for next year, is in a hypercritical, cynical world, often known for what it's against. Let's be a group of people known for what we're for. I think that's actually how you change the world. And one of the ways you change the world is to change our communities collectively. And I think that's, that's where this starts. So let's tell people who we're for, what we're for. Let's, first of all, you got to know what you're for. If you don't yeah. know that, you can't yeah. do that. It's a lot harder than you think because a lot of people have not asked this question of themselves. What do you want to be known for? But once you define that and once you're clear on it, you get to live it and make a big difference. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Caleb. Good to see you. Thanks for all you're doing. Wow. What, what a great conversation. Jeff is one of my favorite people to learn from. As, as you could tell from listening to the interview, he's got a bunch of great ideas and is definitely someone that you should be following. And go check out his book, which releases today. Be sure to order that as well. Follow him on Instagram and where and just look in the show notes for all of his contact info as well and how you can best follow and continue to learn from him as well well hey thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the learner's corner podcast check back next week for a brand new episode and until next time keep learning and keep growing <laughs>